Bible, so we get into the book of Jonah, the very first words in chapter 1 of Jonah. The word of the Lord came The word of the Lord came to son uh, to Jonah, son of Amity. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Jonah is not going to Nineveh. And (laughs) this is different than all the other Old Testament prophets who argue with God, but then obey. Jonah doesn't argue. He just disobeys. And if you've ever had a child that's like that, you understand the struggle of, of at least your, you know, maybe you have two or three children. At least one child argues with you, and the other one just ignores you and disobeys. You know what I'm saying? And this is what Jonah's doing. He is disobeying. It doesn't take him long to decide not to obey the Lord, and he heads in the other direction because of his intense hatred for the Ninevites. It's an incredible uh, When a mature Christian is exposed, and I think this is key in our nature today and what we're going through, especially when it comes to politics, this incredible hatred that comes out for a certain type of person or a certain group from a Christian, a believer in God, and it is called sin. That hatred is sin. You can disagree But when it turns into hatred, it turns into sin. And that is what Jonah was doing. He was sinning. We have all these types of prejudices. But Jonah's prejudice was well-founded. He had a reason to hate the Assyrians. He had a reason to hate the Ninevites. This would have been compared to Nazi Germany in the 40s. On what the Assyrians did to the Israelites. He had every reason to hate them, and yet God told him to go preach to them, and he was supposed to obey. It goes on in verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, I think this is chapter 2 or maybe 1, I'm not sure, and such a violent storm arose and the ship threatened to break up, and the following verses tell the story, and we see how they, you know, the sailors experienced, these experienced sailors, how they reacted, and it just, it just wasn't bad. This was a very, very bad situation for them. They're throwing the cargo, their money overboard, so they figure out whose fault it all is in all of this, and in verse 15, we see them say, what should we do to you? And he says, throw me overboard. Verse 17, we saw how the Lord provided a great fish. And we see God's perfect timing throughout this book of Jonah of how God is is still working in this world even though when Jonah figured, well, I'm done with God, so God's done with me. And Jonah begins to drown, and we talked about it last week, and this ends up being a a slimy, smelly, slippery, I mean, mean, this was a nasty place that he ended up in this fish. So in chapter 2, it's all about the strange prayer meeting that Jonah had with God. And he's, as he's riding up and down in the well's uh, you know, cavity, belly, whatever you want to call it, and he sings this song to the Lord, and he cries out, and he starts to reconnect with God as he thinks he's going to die. And those of us maybe have reconnected with God after years of not following God, sometimes we could tell you uh, of some of the, the weird circumstances that maybe we've gone through throughout our life that brought us back to God. God is asking Jonah, 
to return to him, to have a revival of the heart, to not only connect with God, but actually follow God and do what God wants. And Jonah responds and cries out to the Lord. And it's really neat because he says, I called out to you, Lord, and you actually listened to me. That's really neat. I mean, it's amazing when you finally realize God actually listens to me. And he does. It's almost like you can't even believe it. You brought me up out of the pit. And in chapter 8, verse, I mean, chapter 2, verse 8, is one of the most powerful verses of the Bible. It says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. You turn away from God when you cling to other things. And this is just so powerful. It's such a great visual. Any worthless idol could be a relationship, it could be a habit, or a friendship, or a personal issue, whatever that is, and you're clinging to it, and when you cling to that, you can't have the relationship with God that you want to have. It's kind of interesting, I've been talking to many pastors, Um, we have a great group of pastors, Tulare Association of Churches, that we get together and meet, and we're talking about how this COVID time, it's almost like I don't know why. Okay, now it's back on. I have no idea what happened there. COVID, I guess, right? But it's almost, it's almost like God is, is uh, you know, sifting the wheat. It's almost like we're finding out the spiritual maturity of who we are. Are we going to continue to follow God when we're not physically meeting? And then are we going to come back to church when we do start physically meeting? And I'm not trying to, to say anything bad about the. There, there are certain people who have not come back, and there's a reason why they haven't come back. And, and I'm not saying, oh, you're such a bad person, you haven't come back. But then there's that group that... Of all the churches, of the church body, I'm not talking about just this church, but many churches that have just gotten in the habit of being away from God. And they're not coming back to God, and we're starting to see spiritual maturity, or not. So in one sense, pat pat yourself on the back. Come on, everybody, pat yourself on the back a little bit. In the other sense, say, man, thank God he has the grace for me, right? Yeah, second chances, we're going to be talking about that today. But we cling to these worthless idols, and we don't come back to God. But once we let go of that, we find God's grace. And it's usually when we think all is lost. Usually when, when it's all, we're sinking in the deep, and when it's all over, but it's not all over. Now, I would like for, for you to think, or most people would think that most great repentance stories in the Bible involve unbelievers or pagans, those who don't follow the one true God, uh, who have repented and come to God. And we would say, oh, that's just wonderful. And today is going to be one of those, where the whole city of Nineveh repents. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I told you the end, end part of the story here. But, but however, the, the greatest repentance stories in the Scriptures or from people who were supposed to be following God all along and went away from God. Those are the greatest repentance stories. And this has got to become the church today. 
We as believers have to start repenting and coming back to God. We need to start those relationships and screaming out, God, I can't do this alone. Because believers are the ones that he is after also. If we have connected with God, then we can win the world for Christ. But much of the scriptures is about believers who have blown it and repented. Jonah inside the fish, this story, of course. Moses on the backside of the mountain. David alone in the basement of his palace, crying out to the Lord, saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. We see Peter on the shore and Christ asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? The reality is the greatest repentance stories of the scriptures are from the believers. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord commanded a fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, I have a video of this to show. Okay, maybe not. It'd be kind of cool, huh? You know, as we memorize scripture, this is a great one to memorize too. So just thought I'd throw that out there. But Jonah hasn't eaten for three days and three nights. I bet he was hungry right after this, don't you? Maybe not. I don't know. Probably went and had some clam chowder. Okay, maybe I need to get back to my notes. Okay, tuna fish sandwich, oysters on the half shell. Okay, but I, get, I bet this guy didn't eat, cash, uh, I mean, uh, eat seafood the rest of his life because he was the seafood at one point, you know. But quite a sight. I mean, this gets funnier and funnier, at least in my fifth grade, sixth grade mind. You know what I'm saying? When you think about what he looked like, he would have lost all his hair from the gastric juices. <laughs> he was a hairless man. I mean, the, these fish don't chew. It was just all the acid that would, would slowly digest everything that they would have eaten. Jonah would have been digested for three days before the fish decided, man, I, I got to get rid of this one. This one's causing me a problem. He's not the same man who, who went into the fish to begin with. This guy is now bald. You know, I mean, that would be punishment enough. And all the other accounts that we talked about last week, this, this man never regained his hair. Not only that, but, but a person, uh, we talked about two examples where, where this actually happened, where a person actually went into a well uh, and got sucked in when they were out hunting wells and so forth. And that person never regained his hair, remained bald the rest of his life, his whole body. But not only that, their skin was also bleached yellow and white and brown. It was patches all over. Three days of digestion. This guy would have looked like a hairless map of Asia. You know what I'm saying? And also have to wonder, were there any witnesses on the beach when Jonah got barfed up? Was I the only one that wondered that? I guess so. I don't know. Wouldn't that be incredible? You take your family down to the beach and, and your, your kids are making a castle and there comes this 100-foot-long fish and he, he kind of gets closer to shore and you start seeing him. He kind of inches up on the beach a little bit and, and they know how to beach themselves and get off that. And, and, and you're like, hey, let's go look at that. Let's go look at that. And, and then all of a sudden, here comes a man out of it, you know? Jonah was literally reborn. Okay, maybe figuratively, no, maybe not literally, but you understand what I'm saying. So chapter 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it 
proclaim to it a message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. I bet he did this time. Imagine what would happen if he didn't. This is pretty incredible. Now, we don't know how much time has lapsed. We don't know if Jonah, you know, if this word of the Lord came to Jonah as soon as he was out of the fish, or maybe Jonah got up and went back home for a while thinking, well, the Lord's never going to use me again. At least let me go back home. And then he calls on to the, you know, the Lord came to him. We just don't know. It could be either direction, but we find some meaning in both. We just don't know. But you could imagine him thinking, I can't serve God again. I'm a failure in my ministry, and I can't do it. And these words are encouraging to anyone who has ever had an epic sin in their life. We all have sin. Don't get me wrong, okay? But sometimes those sins trip us up, right? Sometimes those sin, you know, sends us spinning out of control for a while. And this is Jonah. He's been spun out of control, and he's thinking, there's no way I will ever be used again. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah, or God still has Jonah's number. God has not abandoned him just like he doesn't abandon us. Abandon us. But, but you know what? As I sat with this this last week, and it was kind of a crazy week with everything going on. But I was reminded of one thing. Our God is a God of second chances. And we are a testimony to that. There are very few people sitting here today that got it right the first time. I mean, how many of you got it right the first time? <laughs> yeah. Hardly anybody, right? How many of us need a second chances? Third chances, fourth chances, 52nd chance, 75th chance. I don't know how many times I've blown it and how many times I've succeeded, but I tell you, our God is a God of second chances. This is, this is his style, and, and it's not just with Jonah. This is what God does. This is his personality. All the way back to Genesis, all the way through to us, our God gives chance after chance. God said to Adam and Eve, don't do what? Don't eat of that tree. And what did they do? They ate of the tree. God gave them a second chance. Abraham, God gives him a wife. He goes to Egypt. He's scared that they're going to kill him and take his wife. So he says, this is my sister. Isn't she beautiful? And they kind of give him an odd look like, why are you calling your sister beautiful? You know, but it was his wife. I'm sure that was a great family conversation, right? You told them I was your sister? What were you thinking? And then he tells them, I'm going to give you a child. You're going to be a father of many nations, God tells him. And, and he says, trust me. Yet what does he do? He didn't like God's timing, so he went out and found another woman and had a child, Ishmael. And we see where that got us today, right? A very divided world. The whole conflict in the Middle East can be traced back to right there, all because a man did not trust God. Huge sin right there. But does God say, that's it, done, you're, you're done for? I'm going to revoke that? No. God gives him another chance. God continues to bless him. 
David, I call, you know, uh, the scriptures say, I call you a man after my own heart, you know, come from God. God's saying, David, you're, you're a man after my own heart. Teaches him all these things as a, as a little boy and to a young man. And, and he's the one who defeated the giant. David got to see Saul and his, his transformation from, from trying to follow God to not following God. And then David begins to lead Israel, and God has a king who will follow him finally, the youngest son of Jesse, the ancestor of Christ. And what does David do? He kills one of his good friends so he can take his wife. It goes on and on. People who fail God, and God gives them a new chance. Go to the New Testament. I mean, the obvious illustration we all can think of is Peter, right? I mean, don't you love the guy? But there's also others like John Mark, raised in the church, should have been a lot more mature than what he was. He goes on a mission trip with Paul, and, and Paul kind of takes him under the wing, but, but finally he goes, man, Paul, this is, this is just too hard. And he abandons the apostle Paul. He is homesick. He misses his mommy. Paul totally writes him off for a while. But guess what? Jesus had other plans for him. John Mark is used again and again and again. So Paul has to come back and say, well, I guess God is using you, even though you really blew it. You blew it, but God is using you. You see, here's the thing. We appreciate this in regards, regards to God when it's us. We don't like it so much when it's other people. I like it when God gives me a second chance. I like it when God gives me the fourth chance or the 20th chance. But when he gives you the chance, I don't like it so much. Because I'm angry with whatever you did to me. Or I'm angry with whatever the situation is. And I forget about the grace that God's given me. And I want God to give you justice without grace and without mercy. I mean, if I was God, I would save Jonah, but I wouldn't use him. If I was God, I would even think about rescuing Jonah. He blew it, but he's been a good prophet up until now, but I would not go to, back to him and say, it's time for you to go back to Nineveh, man. I have a job for you. No, I would find somebody else to go to Nineveh. I wouldn't call the same guy again. Hey, I, I need you again. No, 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 no. Jonah had proved himself to be unreliable. Have you ever known somebody like that? His part is not a part of the ministry to the Assyrians. Not now. God needs to give somebody who, who, you know, who loves the Assyrians. Why is he calling Jonah? Why? Well, the simple answer is this. God is God. He can choose whomever he wants. And if we blow it, he still calls us. He still forgives us. Our God is a God of grace and second chances. You know, no one knew that he blew it more than Jonah himself. We can beat up ourselves pretty good, can't we? I mean, how many of you stay up late at night thinking about the things that you blew during the day? 
Or if you have a bad situation, you just think about it over and over and over. And finally you grab your phone because you're tired of thinking about it, right? He knew he blew it. Jonah was disgusted with himself. Have you ever been so disgusted with yourself that you didn't even want to look at yourself in the mirror? Wow. You say, I can't believe I did that. Or you say, I can't believe I did that again. Oops, I did it. Okay, no. I didn't learn my lesson. Maybe it's the same relationship, maybe different name, different face, but same relationship, I did it again. Or I let someone down again. Or I lied again. Or I got drunk again. Or I took drugs again. And no one knew this better than Jonah I did it again. No one knew better than Jonah. The amplified version, I think, has the right word here. It says, arise. God says to Jonah, arise. Get up, pal. Quit laying there in your failure mode. I need you to get up. I can imagine Jonah's reaction. You've got to be kidding me. You've got, you can't you see that I'm the wrong guy? We've already gone over this, Lord. And God says, no, it is you, Jonah. I need you to get up and I need you to start moving. Now, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians 2 explains to us why God is like this. Paul also needed second chances in life. In Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2.4, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that we, you have been saved, through faith. And that is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love the Apostle Paul and how he explains this, you know, explains several reasons why God is like this. First of all, he loves us. That is it. He loves us. And like a parent to a rebellious child, a teenager who says, I'm going to do it my way, and they enter in, in adulthood, and some of you, you know, I've seen this as working with college students, and, and, and I've seen some of them go the other direction, and, and they're like, I'm going to do it my way, and it can be painful for the parents because they refuse to learn the lesson. And yet the parents say, you know what? I will always love you. You might be angry with them, but you still love them because you're, they're your child. This is even more so with our Heavenly Father. Secondly, He likes to show off His abundance of His grace. He likes to use us to show off His abundance of grace to other people. The Ninevites needed a preacher that needed grace because the Ninevites needed grace. 
for all the terrible things that they've done. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So God allowed Jonah to go through his rebellion, and now God says, you know what? Hey, you're perfect for the job. You're perfect for it. You have the perfect testimony of my grace. Go tell these people how gracious I was to you. And this is, this is the case for us as well. Some of us feel like we're disqualified from, from ministry. And I don't mean ministry as in like you've got to be hired by the church for ministry. I'm talking about ministry out into this world that some of us feel like, man, I've, re, I've just messed up so much. There's no way I can influence other people. We feel like we're disqualified from serving. But instead, what's happened is it's prepared you for ministry. My wife and I are talking about different ways that we can reach out to the community. And uh, this last week, I listened to somebody for, um, oh, what, what, my mind just went blank on me. Uh, The Care Pregnancy Center, and the other one is Young Lives, about young couples. And sometimes it's just a young lady who's gotten pregnant and they're reaching out because they don't know what else to do. And, and we've been talking about, my wife and I have been talking about how can we help this ministry? Can we help the ministry with the size of church? Can my wife and I personally help them? And, and what can we do to reach out to give them grace? Because we've received so much grace. Because some of us sit there and go, well, it takes somebody who's gone through that situation to, to be there and give them that grace. That's not always the case. Sometimes God uses people who have gone through the exact same situation and says, go tell them your life story. And then sometimes God says, you know, you've never gone through this before, but you go help them explain my grace to them through other situations in your life. The Lord says, hey, I can use you now. And I know that you won't take credit for it. Because before, for Jonah, he was a prophet of Israel. And he thought he was hot stuff. The king followed his directions. He was the chosen and all that. And now I called you, you to another race. I called you to another group of people. And, 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 and you were too good to go back there. But now you're back on track. You understand. You start to become a humble person. You know, it's really hard for God to use prideful people. It's really hard. This is why we need to humble ourselves. And admit that, you know, where we came from in our rebellion and our sin and our lack of relying on God. And then we repent. And it's not like, okay, I repent, everything is okay. It's like, when I repent, i got to build back that trust with God and those around me. i got to get back on the right path. And i got to start trudging down that road again. And we start to follow God and God can use us. And the last reason God is like this is in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He created us to do good work. The word workmanship is such a great word. In the Greek, and I always, uh, I'm from the South, so I always mess up this word, but in the Greek, it's poemi, uh, poemi, yeah, my wife is laughing now. It, It comes from the word poem, and I even say that wrong according to her, you know. But we are God's poem. We are God's work of art. Did you know that you are God's work of art? Look around at somebody else 
and say, man, you're a good-looking piece of art of God. You know, a piece of, you're, you're good-looking art of God, right? I don't see you talking to anybody else. You don't think they're good-looking pieces of art? Come on, Pam. I mean, Bob. Oh, man. <laughs> now, some of us may be going, well, okay, that piece of art is abstract. I get that, you know. But it's a piece of art. In reality, God makes great art, which is you. It's not bad art because God doesn't make junk. You are God's work of art. Some will say, well, no, I'm not. And yes, you are because God wouldn't do this unless he had a plan. The word of God says that you are a work of art. God lets Jonah go through this and uses him again. And if there were other people on the beach that day, they would swear to you that Jonah was no longer a work of art. And God would say, yes, it is. Look how beautiful it is. The man is recovering from his rebellion, and and that man is the man that God is going to use. It may not look like it right now, but God is going to use it, and you wait and see. See, our mistakes leave scars, but that, that doesn't disqualify us. Scars are beautiful to the Lord because they represent healing. I remember back in junior high ministry, I was a pastor, and a young lady came to me and says, oh, I say young lady, she was college age, she was a young adult, and she says, I want to help out in junior high ministry. I feel the Lord drawing me toward that, but I messed up, and I have a child, and I've been raising that child since I was a teenager. And I looked at her, and I said, you're perfect. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you get to tell them your story and the choices that you made, and you get to encourage them to make different choices. It doesn't disqualify you. It qualifies you. Our mistakes qualify us. See, God asks us to drop our mask and be real and start comparing our scars in a sense. Because guess what? Those scars don't hurt anymore. We can start saying, this is what God rescued me from. Verse 3, it goes on and says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Now, until 1845, we had no clue where Nineveh was. Most people said this story is a bunch of buckus. We, you know, there's, there's not even a town, city, whatever called Nineveh. So this is a nice story. But then in 1845, they found it under a hill. And Nineveh, it was so massive, it took years and years and years to uncover. It was 60 miles in circumference. It was actually kind of like three cities put together. Think of the Bay Area where you have city upon city. You know, it's all kind of one uh, area. And, and it was uh, estimated somewhere between 600,000 to 1 million adults lived in Nineveh. The walls were 100 foot high and 45 foot wide. The inner city had 100 acres under one big roof. Hot desert area, nice and cool under the roof. How did they build that back then? 
Have you ever thought about that? It's crazy. Palaces and libraries and temples to their god Dagon is who they worship. There was a zoo of exotic animals from all over the world. Sennacherib built a monument. He was the leader. He was the king to show the world the power of Assyria. It was like what Hitler was trying to do with Berlin. If you've ever studied what Hitler was trying to do and, and building out and, and, and everything that he was trying to do, he was trying to show off his power to the world. That's what the Assyrian Empire did. They had a huge theater that could seat 200,000 people for games. And here was Jonah walking around the city, no doubt intimidated a little bit, yet he had a job to do. Here he is in enemy territory preaching to them the destruction of their city. Verse 4, it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, Jonah... Being a prophet of God would understand 40 is a significant biblical number. It's for a time of testing, a time of, of judgment. His message, uh, you know, is, is severely lacking in grace. He's not saying repent. He's just saying 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. He doesn't even mention God. And the word overturned, uh, or over, uh, overturned here is an interesting word. It can either be a positive or a negative. It could mean 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed. Or 40 days, this place is going to be drastically changed. You see, you get the double meaning there. And it did take 40 days of this to happen. In fact, to look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed... And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. It doesn't say believed in God. It says believed God. Those are two different things. You go back and look at the, the, the Hebrew here. It says they believed. Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh, that by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. This sounds really weird to us, not even the animals, but they were really connected to their animals, okay? They were the first environmentalists, I guess, I don't know. But do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. This should have been the message that Jonah gave instead of, you guys are going to be destroyed. This should have been the message right here. Give up your evil ways and turn to God. But who is preaching it? <laughs> Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that he will, or that we will not perish. They had no promise of grace. They're just taking a shot. They're just taking their chance here. Verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is incredible. Now, there are a couple of things that I saw here. First of all, 
Repentance was their idea. It wasn't Jonas. Nobody had to tell these guys to repent. You kind of get the picture that, that Jonah's walked through the, you know, walking through the town with the sign that says, repent, the end is near, you know? You kind of get that idea here. But based upon how he looked, and maybe the stories that preceded him about who he was and what happened to him, but he doesn't even use the word repent. Repentance was their idea. No one had to tell them that their ways were evil. And as soon as the Holy Spirit started moving in that place, they just knew. What they could not have known is Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down or destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. They didn't know this yet. Yet they obeyed the word of the Lord. He's God, and he can do what he wants to do. I think it's pretty cool that it was their idea to repent. Secondly, they were ready to repent. Sennacherib, and I'm probably, you know, slaughtering that name, had built a beautiful city, but it was starting to fall apart. Then natural disasters, a huge flood came, and part of the wall had fallen down, and that's a really cool story. We're not going to go into it today, but the enemies took it as a sign from God to attack, so they went through the fallen wall, and they attacked them and killed many of the people. And many scholars believe this was happening at the same time as Jonah. You had an earthquake around this time. You had famine. People were dying. And you know what? Nineveh was ready to hear. The only thing, I think, was Jonah's appearance and story. I think his, it really played into this. The Ninevites worshipped the god Dagon. Dagon was a fish god. He was half fish, half man. So your city's falling apart, and you worship a God that is half, half fish, half man, and, and a man comes in your city, and the reputation says that this man came right out of the mouth of a fish, and you look at him, and you see that something happened to him. These people were ready to hear the word of the Lord. I think it's the same as today. People are ready to hear the truth. We're being fed so many different lies. You know, like TV, this is how relationships ought to be. This island, that island, this, this group, you know, there, there's 15 girls or 15 boys, you know, going after this young man or young woman, and they're all vying for his effect. I mean, look at what the world is telling us that we should be doing. Every TV show has to have this character or that character. It's getting to a point where my wife and I really haven't gone to any movies other than kid movies in quite a few years. And there's even some of those that we've avoided because they're, they're pushing one direction or another. It's not because we hate movies. We've, we've always enjoyed going to movies. We're disappointed that we can't go to, to as many movies. I mean, that was our date night. Now we go to Costco. I think people are ready to hear the truth. 
And we need to be ready to be used by God to give truth with grace and mercy. So the greatest miracle of this book is the whole city turned to God, not Jonah and the well. After one day, the entire city comes to repentance. What is really incredible is when you contrast Nineveh's repentance with Israel's stubbornness. Israel had had a prophet after prophet after prophet, and it still didn't repent. And God says, if you don't repent, I'm going to bring down nations to destroy you. And sure enough, the Assyrians came and took uh, the northern kingdom. And and, uh, many years later, the Babylonians defeat the Assyrians, and they came down and took the rest of Israel off until 1940, what, 1948? May 15th, this guy, one prophet, one day, bald albino that stinks, had a really bad attitude, his sermon is way too short for any preacher that I've ever heard of, he was saying repent, well he wasn't really saying repent, he's just saying you're going to be destroyed. This is the same when Jesus was alive. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And the religious leader said, show us a sign. And he says, you want a sign? Look to Jonah. That's your sign. See, the preacher in me wants to say Israel is America in this story. One good preacher after another, no repentance. But really, we're Nineveh. We live in a wicked generation of people. Billy Graham once said, If God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. People are ready to repent. We need to go out there and tell them our scars. Tell them about our defeats. Because they are ready to hear God's message with grace and mercy. People are ready to repent. My question is, are we ready to repent? All God needs to hear is our heart is ready, and it begins that road of repentance. Maybe it's something huge that you don't want to tell anybody, and that's okay. God knows. He can deal with that. But maybe it's something that's small that has stood in your way. All these years, whatever it is that you need to repent to, you need to go to God and repent and so God can be able to use you. The greatest history in the Bible is about those who believed and repented. I would say there's some here that need to repent. You were fine, something happened, and now your life is filled with stuff. I don't know who you are. But I know that God has plans for your lives. God has a plan for you to be used by him. It may not be going to a huge city like Nineveh. You might not be going to Las Vegas or San Francisco and telling them to repent. But maybe it's somebody down the street. Maybe it's somebody in your family that needs that grace and mercy and love. But the first thing you need to do is give them grace. Let God do the discipline. Let God do the justice part. You give God's grace and mercy. Maybe he provides a fish for one of you. I don't know. So the question is, are we ready to repent? Yes or no? 
Is there anyone who's saying, Lord, I'm rebelling from you. I recognize that. I want to repent and I want to I do what's planned for me to do by you. Anybody here need to repent? Raise your hand. Yeah, several. We're all in the same boat, or maybe we're out of the boat in the water. Maybe some of us are in the fish. But we need to be able to repent. Pray with me as you repent and to be ready to be used by God. Let's pray. Lord, some of us have been going through a difficult time. Some of us really messed up. We've hurt other people. We've caused great damage. And we recognize that, Lord. And we ask for forgiveness of that. We pray that through your mercy that we receive grace. We don't deserve it but you freely give it. Use us, Lord. Use us to change this world. Use us to change the lives that are around us that we can give that grace and mercy to others once we receive it. We thank you for second chances, for third chances, for many chances, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May you receive his mercy and grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.